be in 1 Samuel chapter 23, and I've titled it Answered Prayer for Deliverance from Adversaries. The title comes actually from Psalm 54, which is a prayer of David for salvation, which we'll see in verses uh, 19 to 26 of our text today. Since it's been a couple of months since our last study, which was back in 1 Samuel chapter 22, I figured I'll give a quick review before we get into the text of chapter 23. The reason being that this part of the text is kind of in the middle of a bigger story, if you will. It actually starts back in chapter 20, when King Saul became angry with David, chucked his spear at him, and so David fled based on Jonathan's advice. He first went to Nob, where he met with Ahimelech the priest, and you remember he ate the showbread and took the sword of Goliath as a weapon. Then he went to King Achish in Gath, which was technically their enemy, got rejected for being crazy, and they couldn't, David, they couldn't trust David to fight in the battle with him because he might betray them against his own people. So he fled to the caves in Adlam. And it was in Adlam in chapter 22 that the 400 rogue destitute men came to David to begin his army. Now in this chapter, 23, we'll find out he has up to 600 men with him now. And remember, these were the men that were destitute, they were broke, they were hurting, they were betrayed, and some had nowhere else to go. So they came to David. And I was thinking, these are the same type of people that need Jesus. These are the same type of people that came to Jesus. But why did they come to Jesus? They came for the same reason. They were hurting, they were lame, they were looking for some kind of hope in a dark time in their lives. They were sinners in need of salvation. I know that's where I was when I came to Jesus. I was broke. I was destitute. I was in debt. My marriage was failing. I had nothing left. And Jesus took me in. And Lord, I just thank you for taking me in, Lord. I thank you for cleansing my ways and transforming me, Lord, to where we are today. This is also one, one of the instances we'll see today with the similarity between David and Jesus. Because David also took these men in. He trained them up into soldiers. He became a captain over them. He was an example to them also. We'll see. We'll notice he inquired of the Lord often before he made major decisions. Cause, why? Because David was a godly man. He was a man after God's heart. He wasn't perfect, but God isn't looking for perfection. He's looking for faithfulness. Alan Redpath says that David at this particular time knew nothing of his glorious future except by faith. And we can look back on his experiences and learn some significant lessons that should be written forever upon the character and service of each of us. That's exactly what we're doing here today. We're looking back on David's experiences so that we can learn some significant lessons This should be written forever upon the character of our own hearts. We're going to learn exactly what the Holy Spirit wants us to learn as we personally grow in the Lord. So keep this in mind today as we study how it applies to you personally. Each step David took was by faith, and each victory provided proof to him that God was with him. God wants faithful men to step up and be the example of putting him first, and not being afraid or discouraged to do so in front of others. Especially those who are not godly men, like 
the people David was with. Even though no one else is my family is saved, they all wait for me to pray when we eat together. And then my two-year-old granddaughter shouts out, Amen. Love it. This is the Holy Spirit giving me the opportunity to be the example in front of them. And we need to make sure to take advantage of these gifts, these opportunities from the Lord to evangelize and to share why we're Christians and why we have the hope that we do. Especially because family can be the hardest to, to talk to about it. But you all know the quote from Calvary Chapel that I've heard where God guides, God provides. And that includes providing opportunities as well as providing the, the courage to take advantage of them. So when David inquired of the Lord before he went down to Keilah against the Philistines in chapter 23, he got an answer. He also got the courage to go, knowing that God had already won the battle for him. And having God's assurance should be all the courage we need. But we have to ask him for it first, guys. So here we are in the middle of the pursuit in chapter 23. We're going to continue today. If you want to get, go to 1 Samuel chapter 23, we're going to notice three things in this chapter. We're going to notice God's guidance, God's protection, and we're going to see God's purpose. So let's look at verse 1 of chapter 23. Then they told David, saying, Look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah, and they are robbing the threshing floors. See, the Philistines waited until right after the harvest, when the threshing had just been finished, and the threshing floors became storage warehouses. The Philistines came and took what they wanted for their own food. Then they brought their own livestock in to eat, and also to trample and destroy the fields for a future harvest. This could also put a famine in effect to the people of Keilah, as they now had limited or little food. So look at verse 2 and 3. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. Notice after they, inquired, they asked David to help, the first thing he did was inquire of the Lord. We should learn from David's example to inquire of the Lord before every battle that we face. Because we face different battles every day. And many of those battles are spiritual battles. And we can't win those without the help of the Holy Spirit. Hence the name, spiritual battles. That's why we should be prayed up daily, because it's when we don't inquire first of the Lord that the adversary will attack us. And trust me, he knows when we're not prepared. So David got a positive response from the Lord, which gave him the courage to go and fight. But notice in verse 3, But David's men said to him, Look, we're afraid here in, in Judah. How much more if we go to Keilah against the army of the Philistines? These men had already taken a great risk being associated with David. But they felt safe there in the hills. They didn't want to go farther south into Judah. Back in chapter 22, David promised Abiathar that if he stayed with David, he would be safe. He said, stay with me. Do not fear, for he who seeks my life seeks your life. But with me you shall be safe. You remember Abiathar was the priest that escaped from Doeg when he killed the 80 priests back in chapter 22. And I see another picture of Jesus here. Those men who were with him took a great risk. 
And they were just in much danger, but with Jesus, they felt safe. People in trouble like to have a leader they can count on. John C. Maxwell lists four qualities that made David a good leader in his leadership Bible. Number one, first, David attracted these men without pursuing them. In other words, these men came to David because they believed in his cause. Number two, David gained their loyalty without even trying. For some reason, these men just trusted David. And I like this one, number three. David transformed these men without disenchanting them over their initial state. In other words, he changed them without judging them. He didn't care where they came from or what they may have been running from. And I think back, nobody here ever judged me on who I was or what I was up to before I came here. Why? We all have a past. They just knew I was here because I was a sinner in need of salvation. But Jesus casts our sins farther than the east is from the west. So we should learn to forgive and do the same to others. Like David didn't care. He didn't ask where these men came from. He just took them in and he transformed them. And that's what Jesus did with us. He knew our past. 2 Samuel 23 tells us some of the amazing exploits of some of these men that he took in and transformed and some of the amazing things that they did if you care to look ahead. But number four here, David also fought alongside them as one of them. Remember, Jesus didn't come to serve, to be served. He didn't come to serve, but to be served. He didn't come to be served, but to serve. Get that right. That's in Matthew 20, 28. Also, John 13, when Jesus washed the disciples' feet, he taught them about serving. How? By serving them. He was right there with his disciples, leading them, but not ruling over them. Yet, he was still instructing them in the ways of the Lord. And he was also serving them by example, so they could learn and teach others like they begin to do in Acts chapter 6. Verse 4a says, Then David inquired of the Lord once again. Most likely, David inquired of the Lord through prayer, got an answer, and this would help to encourage the men to go with him down to Keilah. By praying first, David found out that the battle is the Lord's. It's already been won. Verse 5, And David and his men went down to Keilah and fought with the Philistines, struck them with a mighty blow, and took away their livestock. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. Verse 6, And now it happened, when Abiathar the son of Ahimelech fled to David at Keilah, that he went down with the ephod in his hand. Now David could inquire the Lord and get direct answers from a priest who had the ephod with the Urim and Thummim stones. And for some reason, because of this verse, I think it's unclear if he had these stones with him in verses 2 and 4. But either way, now David had a priest with him. Verse 7 and 8. And Saul was told that David had gone to Keilah. So Saul said, God has delivered him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. Then Saul called all the people together for war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. The NLT version says, Saul said, good, we got him now. God has handed him over to me. Saul gained a new sense of victory with this news. His rage overtook his common sense. He knew David was trapped, 
He was willing to bring his whole army down to besiege an innocent Jewish city and destroy them if necessary just to catch David, who shouldn't be his enemy. And this all while neglecting his own borders and allowing his actual enemy to take notice and gain the upper hand, which we'll see later in verses 26 and 27. All this for one innocent man. The king hunted David with his posse with such urgency that he forgot about the rest of the country and he was only focused on one thing, getting David. But we just learned that David is consulting God every step of the way here. Well, Saul is not. Saul has a one-track mind for vengeance. He's filled with hate and jealousy for one man. And guys, it's just not worth it to hold a grudge. Most times, the person you're holding the grudge against doesn't even know it. While you're wallowing it, it consumes you. This guy could care less. Remember, God will handle all things in his time. Every day, one of us will stand before God on our own, and we will become accountable for every action we did. So just let it be for now and let God handle it. That's from Mark eleven twenty five. Look at verses 9 to 12. When David knew that Saul plotted against him, he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring the ephod here. Then David said, O Lord, God of Israel, your servant has certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Keilah come down? Will the men of Keilah deliver me into his hand? Will Saul come down, as your servant has heard? O Lord, God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said, He will come down. Verse 12, Then David said, Will the men of Keilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, They will deliver you. Once again, David consulted the Lord first on the matter, and he received some bad news this time. Well, bad news at first. The good news was that David did the smart thing and consulted God first, so he at least had a warning and some time to escape before Saul got there. This is God's protection. David received a yes answer to both questions, meaning that Saul was in fact coming down and the men of Keilah would in fact betray David to King Saul, even though David had finished saving them. Say thanks for nothing, right? Verse 13 says, So David and his men, about 600, arose and departed from Keilah and went wherever they could go. Then it was told Saul that David had escaped Keilah, so he halted the expedition. And David stayed in the strongholds in the wilderness and remained in the mountains in the wilderness of Ziph. Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. See, David knew the region well. He knew the hiding places. He knew the caves. He knew the ravines. And it's at this time in David's life that he wrote several psalms. While fearing for his life alone in the wilderness, David spent time with God, meditating on his word, praying, writing songs, and singing songs of worship, and calls for deliverance. In fact, Psalm 11 is titled, David's Prayer in the Wilderness of Ziph. In verse 1 of that psalm, he says, In the Lord I put my trust. How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountains? 
And then also in verse 32, 7, he prays, You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. These are David's cries for help. For help and consolation in a lonely time in his life. But David kept God on his heart with his songs and his prayers. He says, You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. I love that. How often do we go to God before we get into trouble? I think many of us wait until it's too late. And then we call on him after we blow it. But he's there for us. And if we could learn something from David, like Alan Redpath says here, it's good to keep God on our heart at all times. It doesn't keep us from getting into trouble. But God has a way out. God might have an easier way that he probably could have revealed to us. If only we would have consulted him first. David also wrote much of Psalm 54 in this wilderness, which we'll get into later on. But notice at the end of verse 14, it says that God did not deliver him into Saul's hand. I like that. God did not deliver him up, like the men of Keilah were willing to do in verse 12, and the men of Ziph were about to do in verses 19 and 20. But God warned him. This shows us that God was protecting David in the wilderness. It shows us that God is teaching David all the tactics of the enemy, and how to handle them in adversity and in victory. David learned to set the example to his men to keep in communication with the Lord through the good and the bad. David wrote many psalms of praise as well as many psalms of cries for help and revenge. So we can learn from David. Look at verse 15 through 17. So David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. And David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a forest. Then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Even my father Saul knows that. It's amazing. Somehow Jonathan found David, but Saul couldn't. It says that Jonathan strengthened David's hand in God. What a friend. They prayed together. And I'm sure this wasn't some generic prayer like, may God be with you, bless you, be safe, amen. I picture these two guys in deep in prayer, like Jesus was when he was playing in the garden of Gethsemane. I picture the two praying with tears and sweat. These two were in deep connection with each other and with the Lord. Jonathan came out to David to reassure him that it was God's plan for him to be king. So he should continue to keep God first in all of his decisions and all of his choices. Jonathan knew where his strengths comes from. They both had personally experienced what God could do when they put their faith in him. And that word strengthened in verse 16 In the Hebrew means to encourage, to become bold, or to sustain. So Jonathan came out to encourage David to remain strong and remain faithful in the Lord. Jonathan was sure that his father would not get David and kill him. And he was right. Saul never ended up killing David. And David never ended up killing Saul. After all these pursuits, 
Why? Remember it says that God did not deliver him. God kept him. Jonathan also told David that he would be at his side in the kingdom. Perhaps in heaven, but this will be the last time these two see each other. As Saul and all of his sons would perish on the same day in battle in chapter 31. But in verse 18 here, they renewed their covenant before the Lord, and David stayed in the woods. Jonathan went to his own house. They renewed their covenant, which is a pledge between the two men. The NLT calls it a solemn pact that they made with each other. And like I said, I'm sure they spent much time in prayer together while they were there. Verses 19 and 20. Then the Ziphites came up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is David not hiding with us in the stronghold in the woods, in the hills of Hekelah, which is on the south of Jeshimon? Now therefore, O king, come down according to all the desire of your soul to come down. And our part shall be to deliver, to deliver him into the king's hand. So the Ziphites knew that David was among them, and some came to rat him out to Saul. Then LT says that they betrayed David. But notice how they buttered him up first in verse 20a, saying, according to your desire, and if you want him, kind of putting the burden on the king to come get him so as to resolve them of any responsibility in case David found out that they gave him up. Then in verse 20b, it shows their true intentions with them. With those three little words sandwiched in the middle there. And our part. Those three words imply that they were doing the king a favor and they were expecting Saul to do his part and offer something in return. They wanted to remain in good standing with the king and with David, but they expected some type of payment or something for this information. They wanted something in return. And this shows us that our adversaries are not only the ones that we know about, but also their friends and acquaintances can become our adversaries by association. Look back in chapter 22 when David trusted Ahimelech, but once he noticed Doeg the Edomite was there and saw him, he knew the word get back to Saul about this incident, and it did. Also, the men of Keilah betrayed him to Saul back in verse 12 after they came to David as a friend. And now the Ziphites here in verse 19 and 20. Turning your Bible to Psalm 54. It's at this point that David wrote Psalm 54. And that's where we get the title for this message, Answered Prayer for Deliverance from Our Adversaries. When David was hiding from Saul in the caves, he did a lot of praying and a lot of psalm writing. And God heard him. Take a look at Psalm 54. To the chief musician with stringed instruments, a contemplation of David when the Ziphites went and said to Saul, Is David not hiding with us? David prays, Save me, O God, by your name, and vindicate me by your strength. Hear my prayer, O God, and give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen up against me, and oppressors have sought after my life. They have not set God before them. Selah. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is with those who uphold my life. He will repay my enemies for their evil. 
I will sacrifice freely to you. I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me out of trouble, and my eye has seen its desire upon my enemies. David knew that he was in trouble. And he knew that Saul and his full army were on the hunt for him. And they were closing in. If Jonathan could come to David, then they were close by. The Selah at the end of verse 3 indicates that the first part of this psalm, David's plea to God for help and his request, or what his problem is. Notice that's the first thing he does. Praise God. Then he goes straight to God with his situation. He begs God to hear him and to save him. These are ungodly men, he says, who have not set God before themselves. But David, who is a godly man and does set God first, we'll see who gets the victory. And this made me think, why doesn't everybody that reads the Bible not see that God always gets the victory? God always wins. This just goes to show we put God first in our lives, communicate with Him on a daily basis, through reading and through our prayers, He will guide us more and more into His will and farther away from our own will, hopefully. And when we are in His will, He's with us. Now, this definitely doesn't mean that we won't go through trials and tribulations, because we will. But remember that if God is with us, He will help us get through these tough times. He may not help us avoid them, but He will help us get through them. Why? Because God's getting through trials strengthens us. James says in in chapter 1 of his epistle, right off the bat, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Trials help us to grow, to be strengthened, and to learn. Various trials mean different kinds of trials. God usually wants to teach us where we fail, and it's usually in more than one area. And it seems that those areas are the trials we will face over and over until we learn how to handle them the right way. The way that God wants us to. The way that Jesus would handle them. Notice, once again, David isn't asking not to go through these tough times. He's just asking for God to help him get through them. Because he knows that his strength comes from God. In 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 to 10, Paul pleads three times with the Lord to remove the thorn from his side. Verse 9, the Lord said to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. In verse 10, Paul says, For where I am weak, then I am strong. He's telling us that when we're weak, on our own, we are weak. But when we humble ourselves, we can allow God to help us. We will have His strength on our side. Both Paul and David are great examples of godly men who knew where their strength came from. It came from the Lord. Psalm 54, verse 4, David said, Behold, God is my helper. And don't forget to praise God when you do get the victory, or at least get the way through the battle. In the garden, Jesus first prayed for the cup to pass from him. Then he prayed that if he was to drink it, for God to get him through it. 
Jesus realized that he had to go through it. But even Jesus needed the strength of God to get through it. That's why he prayed to God often, as did David. Once we realize that we need God's strength to get through our daily battles, which we will have, then we'll come to automatically depend on him for all things. You all know this one from Paul from, to the Philippians. I can do all things through Christ who what strengthens me. We need his strength, man. Notice David praised God in the beginning and, and at the end of many of his psalms. This is also for example. The prayer sandwich is praise, supplication, and more praise. That's how God likes it. He wants to help us. He wants us to come to him, and he loves praise. He wants to hear from us in the good and the bad times in our life. He loves to hear our prayers. God sees our pain, sees our suffering. He sees the predicaments we get ourselves into. And he wants to help us. Many people only come to him as a last resort. They say there's no atheist on a plane or a ship that's going down. But Paul says that one day every knee will bow, especially if you're on that plane going down. Notice David also says his prayer with confidence that it will be answered. Okay, verse 7 in Psalm 54, David says, For he has delivered me out of all troubles. That's past tense, guys. It's already been done. That's faith. Let's move back on to Samuel chapter, or verse 21. And Saul said, Blessed are you of the Lord, for you have compassion on me. The NLT says, the Lord bless you. At last, someone is concerned about me. This was Saul's pride, and this will be his downfall. Saul is still only concerned about how others see him. This must be a lonely type of life, always trying to be pleasing to others. The New Testament describes these types as men-pleasers, looking for eye service, according to the flesh. I think Saul would have been the perfect Pharisee. In verse 22, Saul says, Please go and find for sure and see the place where the hideout is and who has seen him there. For I am told he is very crafty. The word crafty means cunning. The Strong Dictionary describes the Hebrew word aram to mean exceedingly crafty or wiser than most. This was how the Bible describes David. David knew the region. He knew the terrain. And he probably learned this during his sheep herding days. He knew the caves and where the best hiding places would be. Saul probably knew this about David also. Look at the first part of verse 23. Saul says, See therefore and take knowledge of all the lurking places where he hides and come back to me with certainty and I will go with you. Saul wanted to be sure before he dragged his whole army across the mountains and valleys after one man. And while this might seem like one of the few smart things Saul did was to check on the enemy first, don't be fooled. He would have went anyways. He was so filled with rage against David. Look at the rest of verse 23. And it shall be, if he is in the land, that I will search for him throughout all the clans of Judah. 
Saul was so desperate that he was willing to go door to door throughout the whole country of Judah to find one man. He was going against God. He was going against God's chosen one to take the throne of all Israel and Judah. He was going beyond his self-control. The NLT version says he will track him down even if he has to search every hiding place in Judah. That is desperation. Look at verse 24 through 26. So they arose and went to Ziph before Saul. But David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon in the plain on the south of Jeshimon. When Saul and his men went to seek David, they told David, Therefore, he went down to the rock and stayed in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that, he pursued David in the wilderness of Maon. Then Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. So David made haste to get away from Saul, for Saul and his men were encircling David and his men to take them. See, when Saul heard that David was coming into the wilderness, he went further south into Judah. But see verse 27 here says, But a messenger came to Saul, saying, Hurry and come, for the Philistines have invaded the land. Once again, Saul was so close to getting David, but guess what? In order to protect David, or maybe in order to protect Saul, or maybe both, God sent a distraction to take Saul away from the pursuit, to fend off the another actual enemy. David shouldn't have been Saul's enemy. Saul had the Philistines to deal with. And, this, and he was just being distracted. The Philistines were the enemy that, David should have, that Saul should have been concerned about. Now they're taking advantage of Saul and his army being distracted and now being worn out. And now Saul and his men have to travel back up to the north to fight off the Philistines. So God put a distraction to Saul as a way to end the pursuit, just like he did back in verse 13. Do you ever think that God might be putting distractions in your life sometimes to protect you from something? Something comes up that shouldn't have came up, and you notice if, you, if that wouldn't have came up, something else would have happened? It's little divine interventions there. He'll also put distractions to protect us from our worst enemy, ourselves. It seems that sometimes we can put ourselves in more danger than our enemy by our own choices, our decisions, the paths we choose. This is when the enemy will see our weakness and take advantage of it. If we're not on the path that God wants, or if it's not the choice that God would have made for us, then we're living in our own will. When God sees us going the wrong way, He may send a distraction to help avoid something we don't yet see. But don't forget... Like I said, he gives us free will. And that means we also have the free will to avoid his distractions. It means he won't intervene until we ask him to. All through the Old Testament, God says, when they call out to me, I will hear them. He waits for us to call out. He waits for us to ask. When David was trapped, he prayed. He called out. He prayed Psalm 54, among others. He 
prayed, save me, O God, by your name, and vindicate me by your strength. And I love that song that Tony played, I called and you answered. It's just so fitting for this chapter. That's the Holy Spirit working in us. Then he praised God for the victory in the same prayer. That's faith. Faith that God heard his prayer and sent a way for him to get through it. God wants us to come to him in prayer like David did. David set the example to his men and also for us to read an example and follow. When David was in God's will, he prayed and God heard him. But look, when David was not in God's will, God left him to get in trouble. I looked ahead to chapter 25 when David was filled with rage against Nabal for not feeding his men. and not seek. David wasn't seeking God's advice at this time and he was about to act. But in verse 26 of that chapter, Abigail, Nabal's wife, came out to remind David to obey what the Lord would say. She said it was the Lord who held him back from bloodshed and vengeance. See, God sent another distraction. She reminded David that the Lord will take the vengeance, not him. And David ended up thanking her and realizing that it was the Lord that sent her as the distraction to save him from murder and bloodshed and also to save Nabal for God to deal with, which he did in verse 38 of that chapter. This was God's divine intervention. This was God's protection. This was grace. Each step of David's journey in the next several chapters will show how God is in control of his life. He's in control of our lives, too. There's several instances of God delivering David from Saul and Saul from David. God found ways of escape and distractions in order to keep them both alive. And I think that most of the times that God delivered David was the times that David wrote a psalm. Either a distressed psalm or a praise psalm. Remember, it's one thing to call out to God for help, but don't forget to praise Him when you get the help, or at least get the way through the battle. It's another thing we learn by studying the life of David. Prayer is important, and praise is important. They should go together. This is when David wrote parts of Psalm 31 and Psalm 17. In Psalm 31, he says that the Lord is his fortress in adversity. Fortress implies strength and security. So we can learn how important prayer was to David. It's even more important to God. So because of the distraction from God and the Philistines attacking the land, back to verses 28 and 29 in our text, Therefore Saul returned from pursuing David and went against the Philistines. So they called that place the Rock of Escape. Then David went up from there and dwelt in the strongholds of En Gedi. That'll be for the next chapter. So in conclusion, in this chapter, we've seen God guidance in verses 2 to 7 and verses 10 to 12. That was when David prayed. We've seen God's protection in verses 14 and 27 with the distractions. But we see that God's purpose for every individual is different. God's purpose in this chapter was to test David's heart, prepare him to become king, 
by helping them to properly learn to deal with people and with situations. God allowed David to get into many different circumstances. And some, prayer was his only way out. And this should be the go-to for every leader. Prayer. That's what God is teaching David. God says, I am here for you. Just call out to me. David wrote so many psalms and, and prayers when he needed to consult with God. That's why I love the title from Psalm 54. Answered prayer for deliverance from adversaries. David prayed with confidence that God would hear his prayers. He may not answer favorably like he did in verse 12, but God did answer him. David had many adversaries, and I'm sure we do too. I know there's times where I feel like I'm in the wilderness, and I should be hiding in caves, and it seems like the world is against me, and I'm running and hiding from my enemies, and prayer is the only way out. God will allow us to get into situations to help us grow and to learn how to handle them better next time. But we need His strength to prevail. When we follow God's Word and include Him in our daily decisions and come to Him before we make certain choices, like David did in verses 2, 4, and 10, God will hear those who call out to Him. So I ask you guys, how often do you call out to God in your day? How many situations do you think you can handle on your own and then mess them up and then go to God to help him fix it? God sees them all. He's waiting for us to call out to him for help, for advice, even for general conversation. God just wants to hear from his people. So guys, let's be men of prayer like David. Humble ourselves and recognize that we need God's guidance. Put God first in all that we do. We can learn from the lessons of David. A prayerful leader is a strong leader. He said, hear my prayer, O God. Give ear to the words of my mouth. Nevertheless, you heard the voice of my supplications when I cried out to you. Lord, we thank you for this message from from Samuel today, Lord, about David. We pray that we can just learn from all these experiences can learn from the life of David how he taught us to pray how he taught us to put God first in everything he does and we've seen what happens when we don't put God first Lord so help us to be transformed Lord by your word help us to be strengthened when we need your strength when we're in times of distress or times of trouble Lord We know that we can go to you. We know you're there for us. Like David cried out, help me, O Lord. Just something simple like that, a simple prayer, Lord. Help me. Peter said, save me. Lord, we need your help. Please humble us that we can ask for it before we get into trouble, Lord. We love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I think we'll have one last song, and I'll pray for the food real quick also. Lord, we thank you.